Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, uh, my name's Steve. I'm lead pastor here at Sam Alliance. Welcome, glad you're here this weekend at Sam Alliance. And we started a new series last week called Reset. Uh, We're talking about about hitting the reset button. And I love reset buttons. I love fresh starts. And I know some of you are getting a fresh start. And uh, we talked last week about hitting the reset button on our vision of ourselves, how God sees us. And if you remember, if you were last week, we talked about the story of Jesus' baptism and that his father spoke words of affirmation over him before he ever did anything, before he did a miracle, before he withstood temptation, all of that. The father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And we talked about this incredible truth that that's, those are the same words, because of God's amazing grace, those are the same words the father speaks over us. That as we live our lives of faith, we're not trying to prove ourselves to God. We've already been proved uh, but through, the, through, the, uh, through the performance of, of Christ on the cross. We are righteous, we're dressed in his righteousness, and the lives of holiness that we live are a response. It's worship. We worship in a lot of ways. We sing, we give, and we just live lives of obedience. And, and, and so we talked about last week, and then this week we're talking about the idea of hitting the reset button, uh, not on our vision of self, but a vision of others, uh, those around us in, in, uh, in our world. And so um, we're going to go to Luke 15. If you've got your Bibles, go to Luke 15. If you did not bring a Bible, there's one that looks just like the one I have. Go to page 1,649, and you will find Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be talking about how God sees people, and the purpose of that is so that we can hit the reset button and align our vision with God's vision, so that we can see people like Jesus sees people. Now, I, I'm a fan of impersonators. I love people who do great impressions. If you ever watched any of them, they're, they're hilarious. I mean, a guy like Frank Caliendo does sports uh, people. He does a great John Madden. Uh, some of you may remember Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal used to do a great impression of uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, there was a guy, he's a little bit older now. His name is Rich Little. Uh, Rich Little did great impressions of presidents. And I, I love those Im- impressions because not only do they sound like the person they're, they're imitating, that they mimic them in such ways that like, even the cadence of their voice sounds like that person or the way they move their hands or the way they carry themselves. They've studied their subject so well that they, they sound and look like that person. And it's probably not a surprise to you um, that, that this journey of faith, one of the things that we are doing is that we're not trying to mimic Christ, we're trying to become like him. And by the power of the spirit that's in us, that is possible. That we, we are doing our very best to be conformed to the image of Christ by his power. And if you've read the scriptures, you will hear this in a lot of different ways. The Apostle Paul, writing to a young church in Corinth, I just put it straight out there, said these, says these words, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. It's really a powerful declaration of discipleship. I'm gonna imitate Christ, and if you wanna know what it looks like, what Jesus looks like, how he responds in certain situations, keep your eyes on me, because I'm gonna live the Christ life in such a way that I, it'll be an example for you. That's a pretty, pretty bold thing to say. Uh, Peter was a, a, a disciple of Jesus, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, G, uh, Peter said these words, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. 
And what, what, what Peter is getting at here is, hey, when you suffer for doing good, um, your, your response to that suffering should look like Jesus' response to suffering. So if you want to know how, how to respond when, when, uh, when you're suffering for doing good, just look at Jesus. That's another way to imitate him. Paul, again, writing to a young church in Ephesus, uh, says these words, and be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So when that person cuts you off or you got that relational stress with that coworker or um, someone just kind of uses a little tone with you and kind of just irritates you and, um, and so we, we forgive. And the reason we forgive is because we're imitating Christ and he's forgiven us so much. So we, we want to be a forgiving, gracious people and, and, and forgive others as well. Um, so the, the, those are a couple ways we can imitate Christ. One more, John 20, a, d- a disciple of Jesus, records these words of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So we're, we get a pattern for imitating Christ in suffering, in forgiveness, and, and when we go on mission, how we live our lives. We're sent ones. We, we are bringing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God into any place we go and we're, we're providing this example of what a citizen of the kingdom lives like and looks like. And so Jesus, he was the one who started this whole conversation and uh, it's really important that we see, see people through his eyes and we understand how, how kingdom people see others. So we can hit that reset button. And uh, you know, you've got a lot of people in your lives, you've got people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, and uh, you, you probably use some adjectives to describe them. You probably have some, maybe some labels, some boxes, some ways to categorize people. Uh, we, you know, we'll put this, you know, blank people, and you, you've, I mean, you've educated people, uneducated people, white collar people, blue collar people, needy people, self-reliant people. We, you know, we got, you even have your people and not my people. You know, you walk into a room, there's a party going on, and you, you'll, you hang out at a party with them, but you really don't want to go fishing with them because they're not my people. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about? Um, we, we've, we've got our adjectives in how we describe people. We see people a certain way. And I'm I'm just going to show this for you. In a few seconds, we're going to have some pictures up on the screen. And I want you to pay attention to the words that pop in your mind as you see these pictures. What you you write them down or put them in your phone or just kind of make a mental note. What what comes to your mind when you see these people? Here you go. It's interesting what pops in your head, isn't it? You know what's kind of interesting? Every service laughed at the people shopping. And I, I don't know if it's because we just all saw ourselves there the day after Thanksgiving or something. So you, you had adjectives pop in your head, didn't you? You had, you had words, phrases that popped into your head. Because um, you see people a, a certain way. And, you know, we'll always have adjectives. We'll always have, 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 you know, we'll see conservative people and liberal people and tall people. and so, You know, that, I'm not saying that. It's just ways we, we uh, kind of just trying to understand people. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus, he saw people a certain way. In fact, he used adjectives that were unlike the adjectives that other people in his day used. He saw people a certain way. 
And the fascinating thing is that here is a religious leader, here's a rabbi, a, a son sent from the father, and he goes into his world, and the people who are most unlike Jesus, like Jesus, and he likes them back. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. The people who are most unlike Jesus, like Jesus, and he likes them back. And if you look at the people who are most like Jesus, the religious leaders and the rabbis and the teachers of the law, the people who are most comfortable going to the temple, most comfortable going to, to you know, festivals in Jerusalem, those are the people who are most uncomfortable with Jesus. And the people who are likely most uncomfortable about going to church or going to a temple service or, or being around religious leaders, the people who are most uncomfortable about that kind of re religiosity were the most comfortable around Jesus. It's fascinating. But, but, but here's the deal. One of the metaphors that the New Testament writers use to describe us is the body of Christ. We're called the body of Christ. So, here's my main point. What, what is true of Jesus personally should be true of us collectively, right? If we're imitating Christ, if we are trying to be like him, what's true of Jesus personally should be true of us collectively. And if people who are most unlike Jesus like Jesus and he liked them back, that should be true of us as well. We, we should be the most likable people in our city. We, I mean... We're not gonna fudge on doctrine. We're not gonna fudge on the non-negotiables of our faith and any of that. But, but all the rest, we, we really should resist everything that makes us resistible. We should be the most likable people in our city because, because Jesus was true of him personally should be true of us collectively. People who are most unlike him liked him and he liked them back. It's, it's really a fascinating thing. If you ever read the Gospel of Mark, and you just pay attention to the word crowd or crowds. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, if you just circle every time you see the word crowd or crowds, there was a crowd in every chapter of the Gospel of Mark. People just loved to be with Jesus. He didn't have to send out flyers. He didn't have to offer free pizza. He didn't do any of that. He just would show up and, and talk. And people loved being around him. It's, it's just amazing. It's amazing, and I think it has to do with how he saw people. He saw people a certain way, he used adjectives, and what I wanna do is I wanna look at Luke 15, look at three stories that, that talk about how God sees people. These are pretty famous stories. You may have heard these stories before. Maybe this is the first time you hear these stories, but um, the, what Jesus is gonna do is he's gonna talk, a crowd has gathered, and he's gonna talk to them, because there are groups of people and they're all using adjectives to describe one another. They're all talking about each other in, in different ways and he wants them to see how the Father sees them. So Luke 15 verse one says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. Now, we've already got our adjectives. Tax collectors notorious sinners. I mean, I don't know how you get to be a notorious sinner in that day. There's no Facebook or Instagram or newspapers. But you, I mean, you've got, to, you've got to really been good at sinfulness to be notorious. I mean, notorious sinner. And then, and then you've got Pharisees and teachers of the religious law. And, and both groups have adjectives to describe one another. They, they just do. And that's, that's how they're operating. And the people who are most like Jesus, the, the religious leaders, 
they're not happy with him because he's hanging out with people who are sinners. And so because of that, Jesus is going to tell these three stories. Let me just continue reading verse 3. So Jesus told him this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? And by the way, I think this parable is for the guys in the crowd. There's going to be a parable for the women. This is a parable for the guys in the crowd. He loses a sheep, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Story number one, we got this, this, this guy, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got 100 sheep, one goes sideways, is lost, and it's a different culture than ours. So we kind of live in this, this disposable culture, like, you know, we got 99 still, so what's the big deal? You know, it's just one sheep, but in that, it's a big deal to them, and they're going to leave the 99, and all the guys in the room are, you know, in the crowd are going, yeah, that's, that's what you do. You, you go look for the one, and, uh, and you get it, and, and you rejoice, and here's what Jesus is getting at in this first, this first parable, this first story. What he's saying is that there is a shift of focus, okay? Here, here's the, the focus was, was on the unlost for a while, 100 sheep, but one went sideways, one got lost, so there's a shift of focus from the unlost to the lost. That's what's happening in this, a shift of focus from the unlost to the lost. It's kind of like this. Let's suppose you're engaged, and, and guys, your fiance calls you and says, hey, uh, bummer news, I, I, uh, I lost my engagement ring but I still got my cell phone. And you go, what are you, what are you talking about? Where is your engagement ring? How did you, I, we don't care about the cell phone, the focus goes to the engagement ring, right? Years ago, when our, our, Trina and my, my kids were, were younger, we were, I was pastoring in Washington and church services were over and we walked back up to the church parsonage and we're, we're having lunch and Trina's in the back room and, and we're like 10 or 15 minutes into lunch. And I, I look up as I'm having lunch and I see, um, I, I have four kids, there were three kids at the table. Uh, my youngest son, Cal, was not there. So I, I kind of shouted back to her, hey, Trina, is Cal with you? She says, no. I said, did he come home with you? Because he didn't come home with me. And she goes, no, he didn't come home with me. I thought he was with you. And it dawns on me that our son, six years old, is probably still back at church. We hope he's at church. And I did not say to Trina, well, it's not a big deal. I still got Beth, Britt, and Chase. We're good. <laughs> no, the focus shifts, right? It shifts from the unlost, from the three kids who are at the table, to the one who is lost. I get in a car, I drive down the street to the church, I run in there, and thankfully there was a small group having a potluck. They just enfolded Cal into their potluck, and they looked at me and said, ah, we knew you'd come back. We knew you'd be back here. I thanked him for feeding my son, brought him home, apologized to my traumatized son. Actually, he wasn't traumatized. He was just like, well, I thought it was normal. Um... <laughs> But that's, that's what's happening in this first story. A shift from what is unlost to what is lost. And then Jesus is going to build on that. He's going to have a story for the women in the crowd. Uh, he says, or suppose a woman, verse 8, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. 
In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Here's what's happening here. This is a, there's a sense of urgency attached, and there's emotion attached to what is lost. This is a woman who has 10 coins. Now, some scholars think this, this, is, this represents a woman who has a dowry. She's given 10 coins by her family. And in those days, you kind of string a, you know, a piece of leather through, maybe some, some cloth through them, and you wear them as a headdress. Sort of like a date me, this comes, comes with me. Kind of a dowry, okay? And so if you, if, you, if you lose one of them, the woman doesn't just kind of recenter nine on her head. She, she's turning the house upside down. Look, there's a sense of urgency looking for that lost coin. So what Jesus is talking about, parable number one, story number one, is there's a shift of focus from the unlost to the lost. And in the second story, there's a, there's a sense of urgency with emotion attached to it. It's, it's like this. You, have, you do not have emotion about your wallet, guys. You do not have, ladies, you do not have emotion about your purse. You do not have emotion, folks, about your keys. They're just keys, it's just a wallet, it's just a purse. But when you're getting up in the morning and you gotta get to work and you can't find your keys, suddenly there is emotion attached, right? To your keys. You're frustrated, you're angry, sometimes you're blaming other people for taking your keys. And then you find them in your back pocket a little bit later. There's this emotion that's attached to something that emotion wasn't attached to before. So what Jesus is doing, he's telling a story. He's, he's helping us see how the Father sees people. And what we're gonna get to here is what is true of Jesus personally must be true of us collectively. This focus shift from the unlost to the lost. This sense of urgency with emotion attached to it. And then he tells this third story. And this is probably the most famous story of these three parables. And by the way, chapter 16 actually has a story about something that's lost. It's a story of a lost job. And it's really, it's really a, a kind of a strange story. Um, but the, these three tend to get most of the, the uh, emphasis. But this, this third one is a story of a lost son. Now, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to paraphrase it for us. But I'd encourage you to read it a little bit later in the day. Because it, it kind of starts out like this. Jesus has told the story about the lost sheep. He's told the story about the lost coin. Then he, and he cranks into another story. There was this dad. And this dad had two kids, two sons. And he has this one son. And this one son comes up to him and says, Dad, you, do you know, you know that someday I'm going to get half your stuff. I mean, one of these days you're going to die and I'm going to get half your stuff and my older brother's going to get half the stuff. And, uh, but here's the problem. It just seems like you're going to live forever. <laughs> and I'd love it if you'd liquidate your portfolio and give me half of it. I'd love it if you'd sell the house and go rent another place and give me half the equity. I'd love if you'd give me half of what's due me because um, I, I, I want to go, go do some stuff. Now, the people listening to this story would be going, they, they'd have an adjective about the son. Disrespectful son, shameful son. Other words that we just can't say here. This is a, this is a good bad. I mean, we have, we have our words about, about people who behave this way. But here's what the, the father, the, the people are thinking about these adjectives and then they hear what Jesus says, what the father does. The father does give the son half of his wealth. And they, they would have had some words to describe the father. Foolish. Man, what, what? It was imprudent. That is a, that is a bad father. And they would have had adjectives, but this, this father says, okay, let's pretend I'm dead. 
Take, take half the estate. It's yours. And, and as the story unfolds, the son takes it and he goes away to a faraway land and he's gone. And a long time goes by and a long time goes by and a long time goes by. And he uses all those resources and, and, he, and he starts to hit rock bottom and more times go by and more time goes by. And then there's this famine and he's really in a hard spot and he gets a job and he's working for a pig farmer, which is not, a, not an acceptable job for a Jewish uh, man to be working on a pig farm. And he gets to this point as he's away from his family. He gets to this point where I think he's asking himself a question. He misses home. He misses home. And I think, I think he's wondering if home misses him. And I bet you if you surveyed the religious leaders and the rabbis who are listening to Jesus tell the story, and if you posed the question to, does home miss this kid? And I think all the, the, the religious leaders would say, that home, that home does not miss this kid. That kid's disgusting. What he's done is completely wrong. And if you were to survey the notorious sinners and the tax collectors and the sinful people, and you ask them, to, you know, does, is, 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 uh, is home missing? And they would say, no, 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 because they're, they're asking that question, aren't they? Does God miss me? I mean, after all, I mean, I'm kind of infamous for what, I've, what I do. I'm a tax collector. I'm sinful. Everyone knows it. Does God miss me? And they would have come to the conclusion that God is disappointed and that God is disgusted by the life that they're living. And, and Jesus is telling the story. And by the way, this story, some of you are living this story. You have a son or a daughter who's gone sideways, has wandered, and, and you're longing for a story like this one to be your story. Don't give up. Because this kid hits rock bottom. And he practices his speech. He knows, he, he, he believes that this, this sonship has been lost. And he's thinking, you know, at least my, 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 my dad's servants, they, uh, they get to eat. They got a roof over their head. I'm going to go back and, and I'll be one of, one of dad's servants. And I, I know he'll, he'll probably, he's kind, he'll let me do that. And, and so the, the son makes his, his way home. And, um, and then Luke captures this. He, he said, now, well, he was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with, imagine Jesus telling the story. He's, he's told the story of this lost sheep. He's told the story of the lost coin. He's telling the story of the lost son. And then he gets to this, this the story is coming to, a, to an end here. And he says, now, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, well, yeah, that's, you know the story. They don't know the story. Here's the deal. That's a great answer. And that's the right answer. Here's the deal. What you put in that blank will be determined by the adjectives that you use to describe people. You see, if, if you see that kind of person, this kind of person, conservative or Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or you know, liberal or gay or straight or black or white or yellow or brown or tall, short, or high school graduate, or high school dropout. If that's how you see people, that, that will determine the word that you put in that blank there. But here's, here's what Jesus says. Now while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his kid and he threw his arms around the kid and everyone who was listening to Jesus to tell the story would have, would have said, that is, that's that's wrong. That's, that kid's unclean. He's unceremonially un, you know, un, unclean. He, he's just, 
He's, he's a mess. And by the way, dad, why did you not throw your arms around this kid when he was in the home? Why are you throwing your arms around him now? Here's why. Because that kid was long gone before he ever left the house. He was a kid who sat at the dinner table and he'd never engaged in conversation. He was a kid who walked around the house. He tried to talk to him, but he always had his earbuds in. That kid was relationally gone long before he was physically gone. And the father lets him go because he's hoping at some point in time, I think, that maybe he will hit rock bottom and he will come home. And maybe there's a chance that a relationship will be restored. The father runs to him and throws his arms around him because here was a son who was disconnected and is now there's a reconnection taking place. And Jesus ends the story with this conversation between a father and the older brother because there's a, there's a party going on, there's a ring, there's a robe, there's this pet goat Zoya that's getting cooked because everyone's happy and threw a name on it and uh, and the older son's like I'm not going to that party why won't he go to that party because he doesn't use the same adjectives that God uses he uses different adjectives Jesus finishes telling the story by saying the father saying to the, to the older son we had to celebrate this happy day now here come the adjectives Here come the adjectives that Jesus uses for people. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. Friends, these are relational terms. He was dead, he disappeared, but now he's alive. He showed back up. He was lost, it literally means to stray, just to go off the path. Now, now he's, he's found. He's come home. What Jesus is getting at here in this parable is that there's, there's disconnected people from him and there's connected people to him. And the way God sees people, it's like the lost sheep, there's a shift of focus from the unlost to the lost. And the lost coin, there's urgency, there's emotion attached to it. And in this one, God's heart is for the disconnected son. That's how he he sees people as connected or disconnected. And if we're gonna imitate Jesus and we're gonna follow Jesus, then what we need to understand is that what was true of Jesus personally must be true of us collectively. We need to see people as either connected or disconnected. We want, to, we want to see people like the Father sees people. But here, here's the deal. The gravitational pull of the church, Big C Church, all across America, all across the world, is to the connected. The gravitational pull of this church is to people who know exactly where to park on a Saturday night or Sunday morning. The gravitational pull of this church is to the kids who know exactly which room to go in for children's ministry. The gravitational pull is to the people who know exactly where they're supposed to sit when they come to church. That's, that's just, that's the gravitational pull of us. And we must do everything we can to resist this, this, this neglect of people who are disconnected from God. We need to be connected. We need to love one another. We need to lean into each other. But we need to understand that the budgets, the ministries, and the programs of most churches is to the 99 and not the one. 
And we need to hit the reset button and see people as Jesus sees people. He doesn't see notorious sinners. He doesn't see tax collectors. He doesn't see rabbis and, and teachers of law. He sees people. He sees people who are connected to him and people who are disconnected to him. And he said, I have come to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10. And what this has to do with us, as we hit the reset button, is that we must resist this gravitational pull towards people who think like us and look like us. We, we must make room in our lives for people who are disconnected from him. And that's hard. I mean, I'm a pastor. I work, as far as I know, I work with all Christians here on staff. I'm surrounded by, I, have to, I, I need to create room in my life to, to rub shoulders with people who are disconnected from the Father because that's, that's where he shifts his focus. Doesn't mean I neglect people who are believers. No, not, I just need to make room. Uh, many years ago when, when uh, Trina and I moved to Kelso, the first church, uh, my kids like to play soccer so I, I, I got to Kelso that I'm gonna meet people and so I'm gonna coach community at soccer. So I'm coaching community at soccer. I meet this guy at first soccer practice. There's a lot of parents there. This other guy likes to coach and so we agree, hey, let's just coach together. Never met, never met him before. His name is Greg. And um, so Greg and I just start coaching together and we figure, hey, you know, we should get to know each other. So I, I, I invited him out. Let's, let's go to a high school football game on Friday nights, hang out, get to know one another. We're at this high school football game and uh, Greg at the game, I think it was halftime, turns to me and says, hey, um, what do you do? What, what's your job? And I said, ah, I kind of don't want to tell you that. <laughs> and he goes, why? Well, it's a bit of a conversation stopper. <laughs> and he says, Really? He goes, that's the same thing with my job. I said, really? What do you do? He goes, I'm a gynecologist. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I get you. And um, I said, he goes, well, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he sticks out his hand and he says to me, here's the deal. I will never talk to you about medicine. You don't talk to me about God. Just shake on it. Stuck my hand up, shook his hand, deal. So we're coaching soccer, and our families are starting to get to know each other, and we love hanging out. They're Greg and his wife, and kids are great people. The kids are about the same age as our kids, and we did stuff on Friday nights together. We had so much fun together. And about year three, Greg calls me up on a whim. He says, hey, uh, let's go skiing. Let's go snowboarding uh, at Meadows. Can, can you get away? And I said, yeah, I, th I think I can. And, and so, I, you know, I, he picks me out, jump in his truck, and we're driving. We're going from Kelso to, to Mount Hood. And so we're just south of Kelso. If you've ever driven that stretch of highway, there's a giant billboard on, uh, on the east side of I-5, and it says, Christ died to save sinners. We're driving by it, and Greg, he just loses it. He comes unglued. He goes, what is the deal with you Christians? You just gotta, you pay money on these big billboards to tell everyone that they're sinners. What's the deal with you? And I, and I looked at him and said, I thought we had a deal. We weren't talking about this. <laughs> I, I literally told him that. I said, I thought we weren't talking about God. He goes, no, no, I, deal's up. I, I, want, I want to talk about this. And we talked for like two hours going, uh, going skiing and, and I just said, man, I, I really appreciate your insight because I, I see that as good news, you see that as bad news and um, man, I, 
I'm sorry you see it that way. And, and, and we just, you know, we kept being friends. And it was, that was like year three of our friendship. Year four, I'm preaching at church and I get up, I look out and who's in church? Greg's in church. After church, I walk up, dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> I did. I said, that's weird. That'd be like me making an appointment in your office. Come on, you know that. It's not right. And he chuckled and said, let's go have lunch. We got to talk about this. So we're having lunch. I said, well, tell, well, tell me, what was, what, what'd you think? And, and he said, you know, I, that, there was something about the music. It just it did something to me. And um, I said, yeah. So I'm thinking, what, said, well, what'd you think about the preaching? And he said, you know, that's my least favorite part. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, that's okay. He said, I thought you kind of talked kind of long and you could have been done earlier. And we laughed and um, had lunch together and, and talked some more. It's like you're five of our friendship. We're still coaching soccer and hanging out as families. And, um, and uh, he, he went through a little rough patch. And, um, and so I said, hey, what? bring the kids. Let's, let's, go to, let's go to family. We just family camp in Camby Grove and uh, Camby, Oregon. And um, let's hang out. And so his his uh, his. Family shows up, and we're there, and the speaker at family camp is this guy named John Stumbo. And John was our former lead pastor at Sam Lyons, who, by the way, is gonna be here in a couple weeks. He's speaking at uh, the beginning of Reach, so you don't wanna miss that weekend. But, um, so John speaking, and so during the worship, I see Greg run out of the tabernacle that we're in. And so I was like, where's he going? So I, I go after him, make sure something bad doesn't happen, and I find him sitting on a rock, he's crying. I say, dude, what, what, what happened, you okay? And he goes, I'm telling you, there is something in there, and I just, I can't be in there. And I, say, I said, I don't want to get all theological on you. It's, it's not something, it's someone. That's, that's the spirit of God. And he's, he's wooing you to himself. Some of you in this room, as you're in the team we're leading, you were feeling it. There's something, there's something, there's something to this. I want to just encourage you. You just keep coming. You just keep coming, leaning in. Jesus is revealing himself. He's wooing you to himself. And he's good. He is. He's good. He has a heart for the disconnected. And he's not disgusted by you. He likes you. Another year goes by. Greg's kind of in, in and out in church. He actually came to our small group um, once. <laughs> and, uh, and then he invites me out for lunch. He invites me out for lunch. We're sitting at lunch, and he looks at me. And he's, got a, he's a pretty serious guy. He's a doctor. He looks at me, and I did it. I'm like, you did, I'm thinking, is he confessing that he killed somebody or what? <laughs> I did it. I did, the, I did the Jesus thing. I walked in the church. No one was there. I went to the cross. I got a ribbon, and I pounded on the cross. I, I just want you to know I, I, I did it. I looked at him and said, the guy who told me seven years ago that you didn't want to talk about God just did it? You just gave your life to Christ? And he's like, yeah, I thought you'd be happy. And I was like, I'm just making sure I got the facts right. That's amazing. And he began this new journey with Jesus. He went from friend to forever friend. I, just, I called him on the phone last week just to check in on him. He's still living up uh, in, in Kelso, Washington area. He's still walking with Jesus, still loves Jesus. And, um, and here, here's the deal. How did all that happen? By just making room in my life to be a friend to someone who's disconnected, someone who 
Didn't even want to talk about God. And I just tried to imitate Jesus. And, uh, and God opened doors. People, what, what's true of Jesus personally must be true of us collectively. People most unlike Jesus like Jesus and he liked them back. We, we should be the most likable people in our city. Without fudging on the non-negotiables. We should be the most likable people in our community. One of the ways that will happen is through the power of the Spirit is seeing people how Christ sees people. And that will change our community. Let's pray together. So, Lord, thanks. Thanks for your heart for us. Thank you that we were once lost. Now we're found. Thank you there's people in this room who are contemplating contemplating a friendship with you. I just pray that they would know that um, you're not gonna judge them. You're not, you're not gonna wag your finger at them. Um, you're gonna throw a party for them because you long to have a friendship with them. Now empower us by your spirit to be just like you, Jesus, to see people as you see people. And may it bring change to our lives and may it bring transformation to our city. We ask that you would do this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.